Regan is up to it again. So, like, she must have thrown that up there. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, <laughs> I, I know it. I know it. I, 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 I probably should have learned my lesson last week, but obviously I didn't. So, but that, but that's all right. I, in all seriousness, though, I am glad to have um, you here today, as, as we continue to talk really about this idea of living a life of purpose. And we're, ta- we're calling our series right now, that we're calling it Purposeful. And, and ta- last Sunday, we talked of, about dreams, about ha- that, that God has put dreams, he's put thoughts, he's put ideas. There, there's things inside of us that God has stirred our hearts about. And, and, and how last Sunday I said that, that our purpose will never be about building and expanding our own kingdom or building our own name, but it will always be about making a difference in the lives of somebody else. And as we continue to explore purpose this morning, I, I want to focus today on a word that is used in both Christian and non-Christian circles, and that actually has a, an implication for us here today. And the Apostle Paul, he wrote about this word about 61 AD when he wrote to the church in Ephesus. At, at this time, Paul was actually in a, in a prison cell when he, he wrote this, and he's writing to a church that he had planted about seven or eight years prior to this. And he's writing a letter to them. This is what he often did is, is he, when he would write letters of encouragement to the churches around him that he had started. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg, I, like I plead with you, like hear me, hear me on this. This is probably the last correspondence you're ever going to hear from me. So I'm begging you to live, to lead, excuse me, I'm begging you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And there's two things I find so unique about this verse. The, the first one is that, is that Paul, he, like, he, he's imploring them. Right, I, I want, like, th- these are, in some ways, these are his final words to this church that he loved, that he had started just a couple years before. He's saying, don't waste your life. I, like, I, I'm begging you, I'm imploring you. Live a life worthy of the calling that God has given to you. But the second part is, he emphatically says, because you have been called by God. God has called you. Like, there's no question about it. He says it as, as a statement of fact, that you have been called by God. Like, it had been years since Paul had been to Ephesus. The church in Ephesus had grown at this point. There were many people in the church of Ephesus that Paul had never even met, never even encountered. And yet he could still emphatically say, but you've been called. God has called you. And we we mentioned last week that that every one of us, we have this this innate longing, this this something inside of us where we want our lives to be meaningful. We want to to be significant. We want our lives to, to matter. And a number of years back, I shared a, a, a really short video clip of, of Tom Brady. And I'm, if you know me, I'm no fan of, of Tom. I'm no fan of Tom Brady. But he did an interview with 60 Minutes a number of years back. And he, he said something in this interview that was so fascinating that I wanted to, I wanted to share this video clip again. Because it was, so, it was so interesting to hear what he had to say. Would you play that clip for us, please? Why do I have three Super Bowl rings? And, and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, 
maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is, me, I thank God. It's gotta be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it, I'm 27, and what else is there for me? Like, here, here's a guy, like, and this interview was given in 2005, so this is years ago. But he, here's a guy that he had achieved everything the world had had to offer, and he's still dissatisfied. Like, at the time, he'd won three Super Bowl rings. He's won seven now. Like, he's ridiculously handsome. He's, he's married to a supermodel. He's got more fame and more riches than he could possibly know what to do with. And yet he's saying, but there's still a longing. There's still an ache for, for something more. That he has it all, and yet, that, yet there's something that's missing. He, he wants, he, he's searching for some kind of significance. And maybe that's why he unretired and came back again, because he's still searching for that thing that he's after. But we all have that same, that same yearning, that same desire for, for our lives to amount to something, to amount more than just achieving quote-unquote success in this life, but that our lives would, would have an internal impact. And, and we're talking about calling. And Paul said that God has called each of us, that you have, God has called you, and that he, God has placed a calling on your life and that we ought to live a life that's worthy of that calling that God has, has, put, a, has put on each of us. And I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes we hear this word, we hear this idea of calling, and it can feel a little bit of intimidating. Because if, if God is calling me to something, I better get it right. Like, suppose I miss my calling. Maybe I, I went to the wrong school. Maybe I majored in the wrong field of study. Maybe I, I married the, the wrong person. I didn't move to the right house. I chose the wrong career. Like, like if, if God is, has a calling for me, what happens if I miss it? And then I've screwed everything up from here on out. Like if, if God has called us, it can easily lead to thoughts that go down in that direction. And we've all probably heard at one point or another that God has a plan for your life. And, and that's true. Well, if he has a plan, what if I screw it up? What, what, if, I, what if I miss it? And so this morning what I want to do is I want to try to take some time to reframe and, and hopefully redeem this word calling. Because the word that Paul uses here that's translated to calling is the Greek word kaleo. And, and kaleo is, is it's a very, it's a very important biblical, biblical word. And in the New Testament text, it's actually, the, the word kaleo or one of its derivatives is used 146 times in the New Testament. And the word kaleo, not just, it doesn't just mean to call, but it means to invite, to extend an invitation. Extending an invitation. And so think about that for a moment. When, when, when Paul says, all right, you've been called by God, what he's saying is, God has extended an invitation to you. An invitation to be a part of something that's way bigger than you. God's extended an invitation to you to be a part of his story of, of redemption. His story of, of, of making all things right. He's invited you into, into the work that he's doing, trying to, of, of, of setting this world back to the place that it ought to be. It's not so much a, a decree, a demand, 
All right, this is my calling for your life. No, it's an invitation. Saying, this is what I'm inviting you to. And so let's not get bogged down into this idea that, that God has a, a very specific calling, one specific thing that he has for you to do. And if you miss it, well, then you're just throwing off all of God's plans from here on out. That's not what calling in the biblical sense actually means. It doesn't work like that at all. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, and, and I would encourage you, and even if you're not on your bulletin, you could take notes through our app. If you go to the App Store and, and search for LSC South Bend, you can find our Livingstones app. You can take notes on there as well. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The calling is about who you are before what you do. Our calling is about who we are before what we do. When, when God calls you, he's calling you first to a who before he calls you to a what. And I love what the Apostle Paul, what he wrote to his, his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1.9. He says, for God saved us, and he called us. And, and let me tell you what, what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, all right, he called you to be a missionary to Africa, though maybe, he, maybe that is what he's doing. He didn't say, all right, he, God has called you to be a second-grade teacher, though maybe he is. He didn't call you to a task. He didn't call you to a job. What Paul, what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.9, he says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. To live a holy life. He, he's calling you first to a who, then he is to a what. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan. From before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Calling us so much more about who it is that we're becoming than it is about what it is that we're doing. Like, we're called to be holy. And, and that word holy, it doesn't mean perfect. It, it doesn't mean flawless. It means that we're set apart from the rest of the world, that we're to act differently, think differently, have different values, different priorities, different measures of success, different passions, different pursuits. And empowered by the Spirit of God that we're called to live out a holy, set-apart kind of life. And, and I find it so interesting that in Scripture... The Bible never talks about our calling about being a career. When, 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 when Scripture talks about calling, it doesn't talk about a career. It talks about, no, this is what you're called to become, who it is that you are to become. And so a better question to ask ourselves rather than, what am I called to do? We ought to ask ourselves, who am I called to become? Instead of, what am I called to do, who am I called to become? Because who we are is way, important, way more important to God than it, what it is that we do. In other words, like I, I, I can be called to be a pastor, but if I'm not living a, a righteous life, if I'm not, not living a holy life, I'm not fulfilling the calling in my life. Like I could, I could be doing an incredible job pastoring this church, but if I'm neglecting my wife and I'm neglecting my kids and I'm not living a life of integrity, I'm failing in my calling. Even if, even if outwardly it might look successful. Like we, we've, the, the world is full of very charismatic preachers who look to be as successful in the eyes of many, but we, see, we can see them fall through some moral failure of some kind or another, some scandal, and they may have been very good at their job, but they're neglecting their calling because their calling is about who we're becoming, not about what it is that we're doing. 
I would also like to say this about calling. The next point you can write down is calling isn't about doing something important in the future. It's about faithfulness to Jesus today. Like oftentimes when we hear the word calling, we, we think about, all right, this is what God is calling me to do. Maybe someday down the road, this is what God is calling me to do. And I would argue that calling is much more about being faithful to Jesus today than it is about something he has us to do in the future. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Like, whatever it is that we do, we do it as unto the Lord. Calling is not about a unique career, an act that God wants us to, to do or accomplish. It's about being faithful to Jesus today. And let me, let me give you an example from, from Scripture. And not, not only do I find these passages incredibly powerful, but I've, I also actually find them really funny as well. And there's two related stories, both from Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10, and then one that immediately follows in Mark chapter 11. Now, there's, there's two of Jesus' disciples, two of his followers, their names were James and John. They were brothers. And, and they come to Jesus, and they make a very unique request uh, of Jesus. So in, in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Like, that's um, pretty bold <laughs> to, to say to the Son of God, but whatever, like, we'll, we'll give them a pass. Maybe, maybe they're going to be asking for something, you know, like, God, give us, give us the ability to, to win people for, for you. Okay, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus replied. And they, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Like, the, like the, the request that James and John are making of Jesus is, all right, hey, we want to be important. We want to be important. When, 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 when you're sitting at your throne, can one of us sit on your right side and one sit on your left? Because when people see you, we want them to see us too. When, when people are thinking of you, Jesus, we want them to think of us. And in ancient, in, in ancient times, the closer in proximity you were to the king, the more important you were the more influence that you, that you carried. That, that same thing actually holds true today as well. Like I, I found a picture of one of President Obama's cabinet meetings. If you could put that up on the, on the screen here. Oh, do we not have it? Oh, maybe we don't have it. Oh, there we go. There we go. And you can see next to President Obama, the two that are sitting closest to him, one on his right, one on his left, are the two most important cabinet secretaries. Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State, and Robert Gates, the Secretary of Defense. Now, now sure, the Secretary of Agriculture is an important figure, but he doesn't get to sit next to the president in the cabinet meetings. The two that are the most important, the, the two that hold the most influence are the ones that are sitting closest to the president. And this, this is what James and John were asking. They're saying, all right, Jesus, when you're sitting down at your throne in your cabinet meeting, can I sit on your right side and can my brother sit on your left? They want to be important. They want to be in close proximity to Jesus. And, and, and so 
And, and what I find so, so funny about this, and I'm not going to read all of it to you, but the other 10 disciples, they actually hear about this request that James and John are, are making to Jesus, and they start getting angry about it. Like, they, they start getting upset. There, there's this big argument that ensues between James and John and the other 10, presumably because they wanted to be the ones sitting at Jesus' right and Jesus' left. And they're having this, like, middle school catfight about who's most important, who gets to be closest to Jesus. And I can only imagine what was going through Jesus' head at this moment. Like, at this point, Jesus... He, he's getting ready to, to enter Jerusalem. He's about to be tried, about to be killed. He had been walking with these guys for three years. They'd been learning from him. He'd been trying to teach them. He, he's getting ready to leave this earth and, and, and hand the keys off to these 12. And I can imagine him thinking, like, have you guys learned nothing from me over these last three years? And so Jesus, he, he steps into the middle of this, this middle school fight that they're having about who's most important, and he shuts it down right away. Going on in verse 42, it says, Jesus called them together, and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Like Jesus saying, all right, you want to be important? You, re you really want to be important? You, you, want to, you want to make something of yourself? Then make yourself last. Be a servant. Make yourself low if you want to be raised up and, and elevated. And like he always does, Jesus addresses the heart issue that's going on with his disciples there. It's not about your visibility or what other people think of you. It's about who you are. It's about your character. It's about your heart. It's about who it is that you're becoming. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what you've been called to. And that's Mark chapter 10. In the next chapter, so immediately following this interaction that Jesus has with them, with this, this ridiculous request that James and John make of Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, they're getting ready to, to enter Jerusalem. They're getting ready to what we call today to embark on the triumphal entry where Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the palm branches, and Jesus is getting ready to lay down his life. And, and I can imagine for a moment what, what Jesus' disciples were thinking in this moment. They were probably beside themselves of saying, yes, now's the time. Now is the time. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been this way, but if, have you ever been around somebody who's kind of a big deal? Have you ever been around somebody who, who's important? And, you know, you kind of like stand up a little taller, you walk with a little more swagger because you're walking with the man, not because of who you are, but because of who they are. And, and I, I don't mean to brag, you can actually put his picture up on the screen, but back when we lived in Milwaukee, I took a CPR class with Mark Baden, who's the chief meteorologist for WISN News in, in Milwaukee. So if you want me to tell you what he's like later on, I'll let you know. But, like, I, I, I can imagine 
I can imagine Jesus' disciples in this moment. They, they were like, all right, finally. This is the moment we've been waiting for. This is, this is the moment where, where people are going to see, people are going to know. We've kind of been outcasts going around Galilee and, and, and Judea and all, all these other areas here. But now, now we're headed into Jerusalem. Now we're headed into Jerusalem. Like This is what we've been waiting for for years. This is what we've given up so much and walked around for years. Now, now is the time. Now might be the time where Jesus finally gives it to the Romans. This thing that we've been rooting for and hoping for for so long. They're excited because their big moment has finally come. And Mark records it in, in Mark chapter 11, verse 1. He says, and Jesus, As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And what does Jesus do? Jesus sent two of them on ahead. He sends two of his disciples on ahead. Now, now Mark doesn't record the name of the two that he sent on ahead. But if I were Jesus, like I can guarantee you that the two that just asked me about being important, the two that just asked me about wanting to be a big deal, they're the ones I'm going to assign to this task of this, this sermon illustration this object lesson right here. Like with all my heart, it, Mark doesn't say it, but with all my heart, I believe it was James and John that Jesus sent ahead. And he calls them over. And, like, and I can imagine their excitement. Like they're, they're coming over. They're like, all right, what, what, do you need, what do you need us to do? You know, like, all right, you've, you've got something important for us. You want us to like cast out some demons. You want us to call fire down on the Romans. You know, like surely Jesus, you're, you're, you're picking the two of us because of our, our great faith and our great leadership ability. And here's what Jesus tells them to do in verse 2. He says, Go into that village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs this, and we'll return it soon. This is their big moment. This, this is the thing that Jesus asked them to do in this moment. Like, like Jesus, wait, we left everything to follow you. Like, like this, is, this is our important assignment, like our big calling. Like We, we had this idea that, that people were going to see us. People were going to think well of us. Like This was the moment that we've been waiting for for three years, and you're calling us to donkey duty. Like, like, like that, that's... Really? And the, the disciples were about to learn, you can write this down, that the size, of, the size of your assignment never determines the significance of your impact. The size of your assignment never determines the significance of your impact. The, the, very, first, the very thing that God might be calling me to do, the thing that God might be asking me to do, inviting me to do, may not seem very important in the moment, but may have an, a, a significance and an impact that is far greater than anything we might be able to see. Just like a, a little shepherd boy in the Old Testament that thought a, a little stone might be able to take on a, a giant, or, or a, a little boy in, in the New Testament that he brings Jesus his lunchable, and, and, and Jesus takes the, the loaves and the fish, and he multiplies it, and he feeds thousands of, of people. 
Like we are set apart by God, chosen by God, called called by God, and whatever God has called us to do, even if it even if it's donkey duty, that that we do it with faithfulness, with with passion, doing it with integrity, because of who I'm becoming more like, because I because I'm becoming more like Jesus, because He came and gave Himself up for me. The calling is way more about who, way more about the who than it is about what we do. Who I'm becoming than about what it is that I'm doing. And these two guys, like they had no idea that they were going to go and fetch the very donkey that was going to allow Jesus to complete his calling. That it probably seemed incredibly, maybe even insulting to them. Like, really? Like, you could have asked anybody to go retrieve a donkey, and you're asking us to go do it. But I, I, I don't think there's any coincidence that the two of them were just asking Jesus, we want to be important. We want to be important. He says, no, no, you have your eyes on the wrong thing. Go bring that donkey to me. I'm going to show you what faithfulness looks like. I'm going to show you what calling really means. I don't think it was any accident that immediately after the 12 disciples were just arguing about who was going to be most important, who was going to have the best seat at the table, who was going to be the one that got to be right next to Jesus, where Jesus said, all right, I'm going to give you that opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to fulfill your calling by helping me fulfill mine. Like, you want to be great? You want to be important? Here. Be great. Be important. Be faithful. And I guarantee you, in that moment, their idea of importance got completely upended. And when we can get that mindset that our calling is about who it is that we're becoming, what God is trying to do on the inside of us much more than it is about what it is that we do. We don't have to go searching for the what. We, we don't have to go searching for, all right, God, what is the thing you're calling me to? Because when we're focused on who we're becoming, the what will find you. When, when, we, when we focus on who it is that, that we are becoming, who God is, is, is changing us and molding us and shaping us to be, we don't have to go searching for the what. We don't have to go searching for that thing to do. It's going to find us. And because we're called to be holy and set apart, to be like Jesus, like we might see that person who's hurting, and God is calling us to go and sit and listen and be present with them. Maybe God is calling you to love a spouse who's very unlovable right now. Maybe you're being called to, to pray for a child who continues to run from God. M- maybe you have a degree and, and some like amazing earning potential. But for right now, God is calling you to, to love and to pour into those babies that he's entrusted you with. Whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. And so if we ask ourselves, all right, God, what are you calling me to? What are you calling me to do? It all starts with a who. And so I, I just want to share with you, like, I, I believe that God has, has called me and my family to come here to be the lead pastor at Livingstone's Church but my calling is not about what I do. 
Not about how big Living Stones becomes. Not about how many people come to our church or how successful our ministry seems. But it's about a, a who am, am I being faithful to Jesus? Am I becoming more like him? Am I allowing him to, to work and use me to make a difference in the lives of those around me? And if I can answer yes to those questions, I'm fulfilling my calling. I'm not fulfilling my calling if Living Stones grows to, to 3,000 people and we have campuses all over Michiana. But I'm not living a life of integrity and humility before God. I'm not living a life that looks like Jesus. And, so I, like, I, and I'm just being honest and frank with you. I'm going to confess something to you that I'm not proud of. But it's true nonetheless is that often I see myself kind of like James and John, where I want to seem important. I want people to think well of me. I want, I want people to see me as important as successful. I, I, I want to feel that what I'm doing is important. But one day, like when, when I stand before God, God's not going to say to me, well done, my good and important servant. Like, I, I pray the words I'm going to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. God hasn't called us to pursue importance. He's called us to pursue faithfulness. And I'll say it like this. The next point is, we're not called to be important, we're called to be faithful. Faithfulness is what God is looking for. And on the heels of that, the, the last point I want you to write down this morning is, God is more concerned with who we're becoming than about what we're doing. Like that, that's kind of the, the, the main point, the bow tied on this message. God is way more concerned about the person that we're becoming than about that thing that it is that, that we're doing. And so I, I want to I close this morning just kind of by hearkening back to that verse that we, that we began with this morning. Where Paul, he's, he's sitting in a prison cell and he realizes he does not have much time left. And he's writing to this church, this church that he loved, this church that he helped plant it. And, and his, his final words, his final instructions to the church, Ephesians 4, when he says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you. And what a powerful word. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. He's pleading, he's begging with them, live a life worthy of your calling. We're not called to live a life that's all about me. It's all about my, my thoughts, my agenda, my attitude. We're not called to live a life where we feel important, where we feel successful. We're called to reflect Jesus. We're called to reflect his, his glory and his beauty and his wonder. We're called to reflect the love and the grace of the very one who gave up everything for me. That's what we've been called to. So when, we, when, when Scripture talks about calling, I don't want you to think of it so much in the, all right, well, what is the thing that God wants me to do? I want us to grab hold of who does Jesus want me to become? And the do, the what, that will come. 
God will open up opportunities. He'll throw those doors wide open for us when we're becoming the people that God has called us to be. We don't have to go searching for the what. He'll bring it to us. We, we've been uniquely created, set apart to become more like Jesus. But our success, it's not based on how important we might look to somebody else. It's not based on how important we may feel. Our success is based on how faithfully we've served Jesus today. Would you, would you bow your heads and allow me to pray for us this morning? Lord, I, I, I thank you, God, so much for your amazing goodness, your grace in our life, Lord. I want to I thank you, Lord, for the callings that you've given to us, Lord. That The calling is not about that thing that you want us to do, Lord, but about who you want us to be, who you want us to become. And I, and I pray that you're going to help us, Lord, by the power of your spirit to be men and women of, of faithfulness, Lord, that we are going to serve you. We're going to serve others faithfully. Not trying to, to seek a name, not trying to be important, not, not trying to, to pursue things that, that people are going to look at us. That we're not going to fall into that trap that James and John did of, man, I, I want people to think highly of me. I want people to see me. I want people to think I'm, I'm a big deal, I'm important. But God, when people see us, they actually see you. That we would be that, that very real, that very true and genuine reflection, God, of who you are. God, when we, when, we, when we pray through, when we, when we think about, when we bring before you, God, what is it you're calling me to? God, that you would help us to live that life worthy of that calling, of who you want us to become, not what you want us to do. Lord, we thank you, Lord, so very much. In Jesus' name, amen.